Seth Wickersham, summer is ending and you got a chance to go to one of the best places in the world to be at in the summer, northern Idaho, Coeur d'Alene. What was that trip like? Yeah, in July, right after 4th of July, I find myself in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho at Gazer Ranch, which is this incredibly exclusive yet rustic um, golf course up in the mountains with these great views of the lake. And I found a group of guys who sit in the corner of the lodge and with a table that overlooks the lake, and they call themselves the Breakfast Club. They meet every morning at 8 o'clock. And the members include Wayne Gretzky, John Elway, John Cooper, who coaches the Tampa Bay Lightning, won two cups, former baseball star Pat Burrell, former NHL tough guy Kelly Chase, and also former Saints coach and current Broncos coach Sean Payton. And I was up there for a couple days kind of following around Peyton. And the, the thing that was the most interesting to me was watching him in this moment that he is in his life, where he tries to take the best of his time in New Orleans and leave behind the worst. One of the things that, you know, I think has, has defined his tenure is these grievances. And I think that the grievances... They began with Bounty Gate, and they've piled up enough over the years. They've kind of become his reality. He doesn't want to fight these old wars that drove him crazy in New Orleans. He, he doesn't want to waste his battery energy on it. But he sometimes does anyway. And um, it's kind of part of the entire package when you hire Sean Payton, that you're getting this brilliant offensive mind, and you're also getting someone who doesn't forget slights. We kind of have this idea of him as this precocious young offensive genius, but he's 59 now, and he's graying around the temples, and he has to squint if he's not reading his reading glasses. This is really the last act for him as a coach, and I think it's going to define his legacy, whether it's going to be one of the many coaches in the NFL who's won one Super Bowl and is kind of stuck at that, or whether he's going to be able to figure it out, rescue the Denver Broncos, save Russell Wilson, and become the first coach in NFL history to win a Super Bowl with two different teams. The job of NFL head coach is notoriously brutal. Endless hours of grinding tape, scheming up game plans, Endless headaches, logistical challenges, personnel issues, public relations battles. It is not a job for the faint of heart. And yet, after a theoretically relaxing season away from the game, 59-year-old Sean Payton has decided to return to the grind. So today, with the NFL season upon us, Seth Wickersham explains how, in spite of the litany of grudges and grievances Peyton has held against the league for many years, he just can't quit this game. I'm Jeremy Schapp. It's Thursday, September 7th, and this is ESPN Daily.
passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Seth, Sean Payton has been someone that football fans have known about for a long time. When did you first get to know him? I mean, I, I knew Sean Payton years ago, but I would say that, like, most of our conversations happened in the past couple of years, and there was one that stood out. It was in January of 2022, and he called me because he seemed exhausted on an existential level. The Saints had commissioned a study on penalties drawn on NFL teams during the past four years. And the Saints ranked at the bottom for four straight years. And it seemed impossible to believe, given Sean Payton's high-flying offense and all of the rule changes that have come into effect to help offenses. But it was true. And I think that what Sean felt was that in some ways it was the last straw. Like, the job is hard enough to do under perfect circumstances. How can you do it when what he saw as just not getting any breaks? And he ended up walking away from the Saints shortly after that. I felt the time was right for me. I felt the time was right. And it's something that I, I, I've been thinking about. There's an attrition, two in the morning. And, and I know I hear people say, well, you don't have, yeah, I get it, but I need to. That, that's the way it works for me. And I think the attention to details are so important that it can be exhausting. And so I felt as this season was winding down, it, it was a personal decision of feeling like, you know, it's time. How did he end up in one of these jobs in the first place? How did, how did, how did Sean Payton become an NFL head coach? Yeah, you know, he played quarterback. You know, people forget about that, but he played quarterback. And I think he always knew that he was going to be a coach. There was one time that he went to like a business seminar for two days and he realized this wasn't for him. And he ended up getting on at San Diego State as an offensive assistant in 1988. So he drove from his home in Chicago to San Diego. His car broke down in Denver, ironically. And that's where his coaching career started. He worked his way into the NFL. And 2002 was really a seminal year for him. His mom got sick with cancer. It was a short battle. And around that same time, his reputation around the league as this precocious young coach took its first hit. 
he was with the Giants as the offensive coordinator. Jim Fossil resumed play calling duties from him and kind of made a public show of it. And it and it hurt Sean's reputation. And we all know that coaching in the NFL is a spectacularly unhealthy way to live. That it crowds out parts of the human soul. And that was a, just a, a, a huge crossroads for him. But he ends up getting hired by Bill Parcells at the end of the year to go to Dallas and be his offensive coordinator. And with it comes a warning, and that's that working for Bill is not for the well-adjusted. Sean fit into that, and he took it to an extreme. He ends up getting hired by the Saints in 2006. And, you know, any semblance of life balance was over from the moment that he got that job. And he told me it took him six years on the job in New Orleans before he felt like that he had a good handle on all of the different facets of the job. But he won the Super Bowl in his fourth year, right? He did. He must have had a good enough handle. Well, that's one of the weird things. It's like, you know, you sometimes win the Super Bowl in the NFL, but maybe sometimes you don't think that's your best team. Like, he thought he's had better teams with the Saints, that team that won the Super Bowl. And even though they won it, he still had things that he was learning about and trying to master and trying to learn how to manage. And Bill Parcells told him, told him when he took the job with the Saints, that five or six things are going to come up every single day that have nothing to do with winning or losing. And if you can't handle that, you need to get out of this job. And the problem was, was that Sean couldn't handle it. And he ended up fighting these wars that just waste time. He battled the league office on everything from the tunnel that they would leave through in neutral site games to mics for NFL films or for the broadcast crew. He got upset one year because the Christmas tree in the New Orleans Saints building was too small. Remember, in Bill Parcells' coaching tree, I mean, you learn a lot about paranoia. Sometimes they really are out to get you, though, Seth. They are. But in, for a year and a half, there was a guy on the sideline, and Peyton was convinced that he was a league spy, and he would give him, like, the evil eye. And finally, 18 months after the fact, he realized that he was actually the on-site concussion specialist. And he went up and apologized to him for the evil eye that he had been giving him for all those years. You would think he might have been able to clarify that earlier if he'd simply asked. <laughs> All of those wars that he would fight were things that kind of fueled him. And then when Bounty Gate broke in 2012, that left a lasting scar on him. And it's something that I think to even to this day, it's something that he's still contending with. And refresh our memory, what was Bounty Gate? Well, the New Orleans Saints during their rise had a program run through defensive coordinator Greg Williams where they would pay players for big hits and especially for knockout hits. The league had gotten wind of it, and they had warned the Saints to stop doing it. And the Saints didn't stop doing it. In this particular case, there was evidence that what New Orleans was doing was more extreme than what other teams were doing. And the NFL came to the Saints, and they were given assurances at the time it would cease operating right away. And yet, a few months ago, evidence emerged that this program not only had continued, but it continued on for the past three seasons. 
When the story broke and everything came out in 2012, everyone agreed, including the league, that Sean Payton wasn't directly involved with it. But the league felt like that he had tried to cover it up, that he hadn't shut it down despite the warnings. Commissioner Roger Goodell didn't think that Sean Payton was honest with him, um, which anyone who knows Roger Goodell, if he thinks you lied to him, it's over. (laughs) Tom Brady can attest to that. Sean Payton had written a book called Home Team, an autobiography. And in it, he talks about how the head coach has to have almost sociopathic and maniacal levels of control and understanding over every facet of the team. And they use that book against him, saying that if, how could you say you didn't know about this, have intimate knowledge of it after you write a book like this? Which makes perfect sense. And he appealed. It didn't go over well. Roger Goodell and Peyton end up yelling at each other. Um, as he told me in the story, you know, Roger's face would get red. And they suspended Sean for a year, a year suspension. First time that had happened since 1978. Without pay. Without pay. And it was a brutal time for Sean. He was getting a divorce during that time. He was injured. He had had a freak sideline injury, which had busted up his knee and his leg. And so he couldn't, he couldn't rely on all the usual tools for redemption that he had over the years. You know, going back into the NFL and, and burying yourself at work. He was actually banned from any contact with anybody in the league. And so it was a, it was a brutal year for him. As we know, he ended up going back to Dallas and calling plays for his son Connor's um, youth team. And a great movie, at least, <laughs> arose from that ordeal. There was, it was a great movie. And... Um, But I think it's one of those things that after that happened, Sean came back to the league, not only with a vengeance to reclaim what was lost, but with deep, deep, deep scars that to this day aren't fully healed. I'm not going to ask you, well, I guess I'm going to ask you to play amateur psychologist, Seth. I think to a neutral observer looking at Bounty Gate, looking at the levels of control that Sean Payton typically exerted over his team, his franchise, any grievance he feels about that suspension, um, I don't know, it seems unjustified. It seems misplaced to me. Well, I think he knew that they were going to get punished, but he didn't think they were going to get punished that badly. And, you know, I think that, he sees a lot of hypocrisy around the league. And that is not unfounded at all. You know, you think about some of the things that he's been upset about over the years, that the fact that the Saints once played a Sunday night football game and then turned around and played a Thursday night game. And, you know, when the league kind of made him the poster boy for disregard of player safety, that they have to go around and do that. And, you know, I think that, like, he had enemies out there And he wanted to make sure that he came out on top. Late Saints owner Tom Benson faced more criticism from within the league after Bountygate than when he threatened to move the Saints to San Antonio for a year after Katrina. There was commentators, executives in the league office, and even other owners, lane owners Dan Rooney of the Steelers and Jerry Richardson of the Panthers, who wanted Benson to fire Peyton. Again, they saw him as this poster boy of everything that the league couldn't stand for in the concussion era. And that piousness 
really elevated Peyton's rage. And at a dinner shortly after he was reinstated, he went up to Richardson and Rooney separately. He extended his hand and he said, I just want to thank you for your support while I was gone. And then he walked away. And, you know, he not only got that fleeting dopamine hit of revenge, but he wanted them to know that he knew. Take us back to one of these moments in Sean Payton's litany of grievances, of incidents in which he thinks they were out to get him, the 2018 NFC title game. Well, after Bounty Gate, they kept making the playoffs. They rebuilt the team, had a little bit of a downturn there, but they rebuilt the team into a Super Bowl contender. And they make it to the NFC Championship game. They host it against the Los Angeles Rams. Late in that game, less than two minutes left, the Saints call a dagger of a play. It is Sean Payton at his tactically most brilliant. He inserted a receiver, Tommy Lee Lewis, as a running back to confuse the defense, and he had Drew Brees operate the play off a quick count. Payton calls that a cheetah play, and it was designed that way so the Rams wouldn't have time to adjust, and they didn't. The Rams cornerback didn't defend Lewis so much as he flailed at him. It was an obvious pass interference call. And yet, it didn't get called. Third down and 10, Breeze from the gun, takes the snap, goes to the near side, hit early, where's the flag? You don't get one. Early hit on Tommy Lee, shot pain is all the way down at the 10. Unbelievable no call. Wow, not a flag to be found. Unbelievable. That's the second time. I mean, he, he doesn't even look for the ball. Nikel Roby Coleman. That's the second time Nikel Roby Coleman has gotten away with a play like that. He is four yards. Now, if they had gotten that call, the Saints would have been able to run out the clock and essentially seal a trip to the Super Bowl. Instead, they lose in overtime. The hold is down. The kick clears the line. And Greg Zerline sends the Rams to the Super Bowl. L.A. Lombardi, 26-23, it's over, and the Superdome is silence. As angry as Sean Payton was over that call, he was also just defeated over it. Months later, at the league meetings in Arizona, they held a special meeting with owners and league executives and coaches to talk about the quality of NFL officiating. And Sean Payton got up to stand at that meeting, and the room got quiet because everyone knew that he, at that point in his career, he had been known as much for his grievances against the league and officiating as much as his brilliant offenses. And they thought he might explode. But when he got up, he didn't explode. He actually just seemed wounded. And he gave a very measured and logical argument for a rule change. And the rules didn't change. (laughs) And he ends up a year later asking off the competition committee. He came to view it as something that the league does for optics rather than solutions. And he calls NFL executive Troy Vincent and he says, take me off that effing sham of a committee. Um, Vincent does. And then a year later, Sean walks away from the Saints. 
He didn't retire. He knew he was going to go back to coaching. He told me that he felt like that he got tired of losing the jump balls in this game. And that's one of the reasons why he was so happy to be in Denver, because the new owners out there, the Walden Penner group, they're not only the richest owners in the NFL by many magnitudes, but Peyton believes that the league's invested in the Broncos' success, an iconic team that hasn't even been to the playoffs since they won the Super Bowl in 2016. And that's one of the main reasons he has optimism about his career in Denver. I want to thank the ownership group here present today. And obviously, the the players, um, the city, all of those things factor in. It's a city that's that's had great success, three championships, and a number of Super Bowl appearances. After the break, the budding feud among Peyton, the Broncos, the New York Jets, and Aaron Rodgers. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to, say, 100 bucks and below. You can also sort by category, like fragrance, handbags, and more. Or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything. Or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So, what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th, and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. So Seth, Sean Payton did not coach this past season, the NFL. This time, the year off was his choice. How was this sabbatical being out this year? Was it any different than last time? I think that during his year out, he always knew he was going to return to coaching. But he got a job as a commentator at Fox, and he kind of viewed it as like a soft retirement. And so Sean kind of developed a plan. He was going to stay in Idaho during the week, meeting with the breakfast club every morning and playing golf. And on weekends, he and his wife, Skylene, would fly to L.A. for the show and stay in Manhattan Beach where they were renting a townhouse. And, you know, it looked like it was a life that could go on forever and could fulfill him. And then his last season went along, little went as planned. Like, first of all, everyone in the breakfast club noticed during training camp that Peyton was antsy without a team. 
um, you know, the entire rhythm of his adult life, really his life since he was a high school quarterback, was altered. And Gretzky told me he, he was discombobulated. And then Peyton learned that Gaza Ranch was not this endless summer. You know, fall comes around and, and the circle of friends thinned out. Elway went back to Denver. Gretz it's cold. Yeah. Gretzky, <laughs> everybody went back to their lives. You know, Gretzky and Cooper went back to the hockey season. The businessmen who golf with them went back to their jobs. And soon it was just Sean Payton, a breakfast club of one, eating alone at the table and struggling to cobble together a foursome. And then as he would watch games, something about it felt empty. Like he would show up first thing in the morning on Sundays and stay until the very last snap of the Sunday night game. And, you know, the best thing about a studio job is you can clock in and clock out, but he wouldn't do it. The, the producers would tell him he was free to go home and he was kind of like, I got, I got nowhere to go. Yeah, why, why wouldn't you want to come back if you're in good health, you're 59 years old, you're not 75, this is all you've ever wanted to do, and you have the opportunity to make, how much money a year is he making? $7 million? He's making a lot. No, he's reported to make, I think, closer to 17 or 18. Okay. All right. So, so you'd have to be a very unusual person to say no to 17 or $18 million a year to do the thing you've always wanted to do your whole life when you're still young and healthy, right? I don't think there's any question that he was going to come back. But again, you know, he's a very affable person. He's one of these people, his wife, Skyleen, one of the things she just loves about him is how no matter what circle he's in, whether he's hanging out with John Elway or Wayne Gretzky or, you know, friends in music. He was obviously great friends with Jimmy Buffett, Kenny Chesney. No matter what circle he's in, he has this way, this charming way of taking the conversation over. And he can tell these stories that just have everybody in stitches. And yet you go into a building, you become a football coach, and there's a Jekyll and Hyde aspect of your personality where it doesn't matter anymore if you come off like an it doesn't come out. It doesn't matter anymore if you are an asshole. That's the job. So you mentioned, Seth, and I want to get to the Broncos. You, you mentioned how he doesn't mind being perceived as an asshole. Um, there's somebody now working in New York who was working in Denver last year who might think, boy, Sean Payton really is an asshole. What is the Nathaniel Hackett imbroglio tell us about Sean Payton? Look, Sean Payton took over the Broncos for a reason. And Nathaniel Hackett's 15 games as the Broncos coach was a complete disaster. And it was obvious that he was in over his head. And I think that Sean Payton came into the building and he knows what it's supposed to look like, right? I mean, he knows what a winning program looks like, and that wasn't it. And... So early in training camp, he sits down with USA Today and, you know, he says what I think is a relatively obvious um, statement, which is that it might have been one of the worst coaching jobs in league history. And of course, the Jets went nuts. And this is like one of those silly things that happens in training camp where everybody gets outraged. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers talked about it. Head coach Robert Sala talked about it. Nathaniel Hackett talked about it, talking about how he, like, you know, violated this code. And the Broncos and the Jets play in October, and it's like this game between 
these two teams that haven't been very good, haven't been elite teams for a while, and all of a sudden, it's like this game that's circled on the calendar. And, you know, Sean Payton said at one point that he didn't want his players during preseason games to do in-game interviews and wear sunglasses and bucket hats. Jets receiver Garrett Wilson, within days of that, does an in-game interview in sunglasses and a bucket hat just to tweak Sean Payton. And, and Payton actually thought that was pretty good. He, he thought it he was good. He should get a medal. He should get a medal for that. That was great. And look, Peyton's comments earned him this little plastic trophy of a golden microphone that the Broncos <laughs> give out to people who step in it publicly. But I think that it, what it was, was that Peyton simply has less of a filter than he used to. And he's gotten older, and he'll say things that are on his mind, even if it later requires damage control. What does Sean Payton think about this future Hall of Famer who is now his starting quarterback, who is coming off not only this dreadful season, but as you detail in your story, he's become the butt of jokes. So this is the key relationship. This is the key player. What does he think going to this job about Russell Wilson and where he is right now? He likes Russell as a person. Russell's done everything that Payton's asked of him. You know, when their first meeting... Peyton kind of wanted Russell to tone down the Russell Inc. And he said, you know, will you stop f-ing kissing babies? You're not running for office. <laughs> not yet. Yes. But I think that there's a little bit of a misnomer about what Sean Peyton does as he pulls those all-nighters. He's not drawing up new plays. At the end of the day, a slant route in Sean Peyton's offense is not any different than a slant in Nathaniel Hackett's off- offense. It's when you call the slant. And one of the things that Sean Payton has been spending a ton of time on is something actually much harder than drawing up plays. It's creating mechanisms for Russell Wilson to decode the opposing defense before the snap. Last year, only two teams committed more pre-snap penalties than the Broncos. And Payton knows that this year, if the play clock is under 10 seconds and Russell Wilson is out there futzing at the line of scrimmage, that the defense is probably going to win. I think that last year, Russell Wilson came in and wanted to be Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers and dictating at the line of scrimmage. Peyton wants some of that, but really what he wants to do is make it easier on Russell so that Russell gets back to reacting and not thinking so much. So as we come to the end here, Seth, Let's go back to that win, the victory in the Super Bowl, the 2009 season. Incomplete, the Saints are going to do it. For years, they have been the full embodiment of their community, a sign of hope. For the Saints, they sought respect. And I tell you, Mardi Gras is about to break out here in Miami. You were in the room that night as a select group is celebrating the only Super Bowl title in New Orleans history. How does that scene and what you saw, what does it tell us about Sean Payton even now? So this was at about 3 o'clock in the morning. It was actually at 2.54 a.m. I still have the picture that I took. (laughs) And I've been to a lot of Super Bowl parties. The Saints This is in Miami. 
It's in Miami at the Intercontinental Hotel. And the Saints party was just completely off the hook. <laughs> and I was there with some of our colleagues. Wright Thompson was there. Remember John Walsh? He's in retirement now, but he was there too. And we all had kind of ambled about better than Ezra was playing. And I end up in this teeny room with Sean Payton, Kenny Chesney. There was a couple players in there. My dad was with me. <laughs> all these randoms. <laughs> it was great. And Peyton has the Lombardi trophy. And he stands up and he holds it and he gives a speech. And it was just so interesting because he said, people are going to say that we made history, but nobody will remember this except us. And I thought that was so poignant because coaches never say that after a Super Bowl. If anything, they say the opposite, that nobody's ever going to forget. But he's wrong. Everybody's going to remember the Saints winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> I think he felt like that, you know, the next day was going to start to whittle away at the night's joy. And really, I asked him about this 13 years later when we were in Idaho. And, you know, he said... He remembered that speech, and he had had this great design of how he wanted to give that speech to the team after they won the Super Bowl. But then the, the NFL machine took over. He gets the Gatorade bath, cameras surrounding him. Then he's getting ushered up on stage by League Suits. He ends up yelling at League Suits at, at there because they're trying to dictate what players can be on the stage and what can't. And he tells them, like, he's not going up unless every player that wants to be up there is going up there. Well, we, we talked about it at halftime, and it's really, uh, it's a credit to every one of these players here. There's not enough room on this stage for all of them, but they carried out the plan. And uh, I'm just proud. I'm proud of this team, the coaching staff, and... Uh, Everybody, everybody back in New Orleans gets a piece of this trophy. Here we go. And after the game, he's meeting with reporters. One interview leads to another, leads to another. And he got sad because he realized that the locker room was empty. And he got on the bus to go to the team party. And he was just overcome that this moment that he had waited his entire career for was slipping away. He actually asked the bus driver to slow down because he couldn't stop time. He just wanted to try to like make this moment last a little longer. And when he got to the hotel, the party was happening. There was no chance. And it hit him that that group of, of men and women, the people on that team were never gonna be together again. And he was sad and that's why he gave the speech to us. And I think that, believe me, if, if they win the Super Bowl in Denver, he's gonna give that speech, he's gonna find a way to get that team together before the machine takes over and he's going to give that speech to them. Seth Wickersham, well, I certainly can't wait to see the reaction after the first call goes against the Broncos this season. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure, sir. My pleasure, man. Great to talk to you as always. I'm Jeremy Schapp. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow.